This has been another episode of Ed Up Legal with your host, Patty Roberts. Ed Up Legal is part of the Ed Up Experience Podcast Network, bringing you the brightest and most influential minds across higher education and beyond. Here at Ed Up, we make education your business. Hi, welcome to Ed Up Legal. This is Patty Roberts, your host from St. Mary's University School of Law, and I'm here with Kelly Testy. Kelly is the President and Chief Executive Officer at LSAC, the Law School Admission Council. The Law School Admission Council is the leading assessment, data, and technology hub for law schools and their candidates in the United States. You may know them as the organization that hosts the LSAT exam for potential applicants to law schools, but they also um, are the application portal that the law schools use for evaluating all those applications to law school. But under Testy's leadership, LSAC has really grown and is just so impressive in the innovations that it's undertaking in order to promote universal access to justice. And tell me how you arrived at LSAC and um, and what inspires you every day to keep expanding its on its mission? Sure, Patty, I'm happy to do that. And let me say that I'm really glad to join you today on this podcast. Um, I am uh, in some ways a surprising president and CEO of the Law School Admission Council. I uh, have always worked for social justice in my legal career. And for a long time, I was a law professor teaching in a number of areas and doing scholarship. And then I became a law school dean. And I uh, was somewhat of a reluctant dean, honestly, when that started, because uh, I realized that my law school was in a transition and everyone was kind of looking at me saying, okay, step up, help us out here. So I I was glad to grab the reins and to try and move the school forward. And I ended up being the dean at Seattle University for about five years. And then also at the University of Washington, also in Seattle for eight years before coming to the Law School Admission Council. And uh, at the time I joined LSAC, I didn't know much about it. And I have just been so delighted to learn all that LSAC does. And even more importantly to what we wanna talk about today in the future, what it can do for law schools and its candidates uh, going forward. Well, that's terrific. Having someone at the head of LSAC who has been dean at two different law schools is just an exceptional um, opportunity for us because you know what it takes to run a law school. You know what the students need, the faculty, and those of us who are deans. We've seen that during the pandemic as you and Judy Areen uh, and Bill Adams from the American Bar Association, Judy from the Association of American Law Schools, has held um, monthly Dean's dialogues so that we can all talk about what's going on during the pandemic and how we can address the issues uh, that law schools are facing. So your access to justice um, passion started early. I see that you start helped found or you did found the Access to Justice Institute at Seattle. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and what inspired you to found that institute? Sure, Patty. I've always had a strong leaning toward fairness and equity. I don't know if it's the the Libra in me or or what, but uh, I'm a first-generation college graduate myself. And uh, I grew up in a very small town in Indiana, 
and uh, really found that when I found my way to Indiana University as an undergrad, and that was not through a traditional path, it was really through sports. Uh, I loved it. It was, it really opened up the world. And so for me, I kind of follow the bell hooks vision of education as really being sacred and having the potential to change everything for how a person thinks about him or herself and the kind of contributions that one can make to the world to help make it a, a better place, a fairer place, a place where everyone has a chance to thrive. And uh, my vision of law is really consistent with that in the sense that I see law as setting the very infrastructure for how our world works. It is about conflict resolution, to be sure. And when we think of lawyers, we often think first about courts and resolving disputes. But it's also what sets the, the very structure of society for how we relate to one another. Um, and that's something that I think is sometimes underappreciated. So I have always, Patty, had a passion for justice, a passion for helping people understand how vital it is that we work for equity in our world and work for, for fairness so that everyone has that chance to live a life that they dream of and make the contributions that they want to make. So to your question uh, specifically at the Access to Justice Institute that I helped found at Seattle University, I realized that there was a perfect match. We had all these students who desperately wanted hands-on legal training. And we had all these gaps in our justice system where there wasn't enough help for people trying to navigate um, legal services and to get access to legal services. And so what the Institute did is try and match those two things together and allow our students a pathway to working for justice while in law school and thereby helping supplement the work that the legal services and other organizations could do to help serve the poor and to help serve under and unrepresented people and causes throughout the uh, Seattle area. That's terrific. Is that a program that continues to be impactful in Seattle? It, it is, and, uh, and it's very impactful. And I would say that uh, one of the things that I've been very impressed by is at the time it started, it was it was relatively unique across legal education. But since that time, that idea has really taken off in several senses. One is through law school clinics, and that's where students can do that kind of work and get credit for it and be under the, the tutorship of a full-time faculty member to really learn hands-on how to, how to work in, in law. And clinical education or experiential education, as we sometimes call it more broadly, that has grown so much in our law schools. And so students can get into law school and while they're in law school, already be making a difference for justice. Um, and at the same time, I've seen the, the more volunteer aspect of the Access to Justice Institute that we founded really take hold more too. And so in most law schools today, you can uh, do volunteer work, you can thereby build your legal connections and your legal skills at the same time and really help bridge what is a, a stark gap in access to justice in our world. Well, as a former clinician, um, I certainly agree with you. And I know that the students who take part in St. Mary's clinics and our pro bono requirement, um, helping community members during the course of their three years, find that it's some of the most rewarding work they do and enriches their legal education significantly. 
so let's get back to LSAC. Um, you yes. bring this passion, this access to justice lens to LSAC, uh, an organization that is in a lot of ways the, the gatekeeper to applying to law school. So how have you um, encouraged the evolution at LSAC to provide easier access to those who want to do the work you're talking about as members of the legal profession? Sure, absolutely. Uh, well, one of the things I'll start with, Patty, is that I like to think of LSAC as the gate opener. We are there with arms outstretched, trying to trying to open up uh, access to legal education in every way we can, and to make that journey from pre-law all the way through practice a successful one for for candidates and students. And a lot of people don't know, and I'll be honest, I didn't really know all that LSAC does when I joined it. And one of the most important things I think to know is that LSAC was formed over 75 years ago now for the very reason of helping work for equity. Because before we had LSAC and the LSAT, Law school admissions were done on narrow criteria based on who you knew, which school you went to, you know, only your GPA. So if you started out in undergrad with a barrier, you were forever penalized. In other words, before LSAC and the LSAT, admissions were often based on privilege rather than potential. And so law school deans came together and wanted to have a fair way to assess the core skills that show the potential for study in law. Not every skill you need to be a lawyer, not every skill you need in law school, but just the very core. So that they could spot those students who have that potential that may not have gone to an elite school, may not have had the money to do all kinds of activities to pad your resume, but can do the work and can think about law in a, in a critical way. And so that's why we were formed. And that's what the LSAT does is there are three skills that it assesses. It's the skills of writing, of reading comprehension, and of reasoning. And it does that in, a, in an incredibly effective way so that you can show your potential and that you can succeed in law school. And it remains the single best predictor of success in, in law school. But beyond the LSAT, one of the things that we really understand and that I realized in coming to the organization is that no matter how good your assessment like the LSAT is, it's the most respected test of critical thinking in the world, tests can be seen as barriers. And because of the way wealth works in our world where some people have access to prep and some people don't, it can be a barrier. So I have prioritized doing everything we can to open those doors widely. We started two methods of free LSAT prep, and I really want people to know about that. So you can, through us and what's known as Law Hub, have free preparation. And that not only gets you ready to apply to law school, but it builds the very skills you'll need to succeed in law school and as a lawyer. So it's an on-ramp to that success. And then we partnered with an awesome organization called the Khan Academy that many people may know for learning how to do math, but you can learn how to take the LSAT for free there too. And it's a, it's a great organization. And then finally, Patty, I would say that the other thing we've really tried to do is to reduce anxiety around the LSAT by offering it 
much more frequently by offering it in the convenience of your own home through technology, by providing laptops to people who don't have them so that that's not a barrier. And really through um, a lot of work and pipeline building programs and outreach, we're trying to reach everywhere we can to say, we need you. We need your voice in law. You can make this journey. We want you to succeed and we are here to help you. So I knew about Khan Academy and the free LSAT prep, which I think was a huge game changer for potential applicants. You know, if you've got an applicant who could afford a commercial course to prepare for the LSAT and someone who could not, um, obviously there are going to be differences um, in their success on that test. So I knew about that, but I did not yet know about Law Hub and how it is um, providing even more holistic support to that application process. I really applaud LSAC for leveling the playing field like that with our applicants. Um, and you answered the question I was going to ask, which is what do you say to the people who would argue that the LSAT is a barrier, that that too demonstrates a preference for privilege. Um, so thank you for addressing that. And then I'll just say that offering the LSAT as frequently as LSAC did this year and providing the laptops, again, you are breaking down the barriers you talked about. And I, I love your description as a gate opener. Um, and I won't forget that. I, I think that LSAC is certainly under your leadership making that happen. Um, this year, of course, with the pandemic, <laughs> you had to turn on a dime. Um, and we had the most robust application period to law schools that we've had in two decades. Um, and all the forms were virtual because people weren't gathering or couldn't gather. We also are reading how um, some of the elite law schools are having the most diverse classes they've ever had. And I wonder, do you see any connection? Are you doing any sort of studies to see whether the virtual forums and the frequency of the LSAT and the providing of the laptops, whether all of those things are actually uh, statistically significant reasons why the diversity in the application pool occurred? Yes, so we are, Patty. And, and you've mentioned a lot of factors and in some ways that what's hard about showing exactly what's moving the needle is there are a lot of things moving the needle at the same time. And you've ticked off some of them. There's no doubt that the fact that we went to online forums reached far more people. And so the schools had deeper pools earlier to reach out to and to encourage those applications. There's also no doubt that the way that we were able to turn on a dime, and, and you're really right in using that phrase, because we managed to do what no other organization was able to do, and that is to very quickly when the pandemic hit, we were able to innovate and take the LSAT online and deliver it remotely. And then, you know, in a very uh, convenient way for candidates and to maintain the quality and security and the consistency of the LSAT as we did that. It's an incredibly stable test. There's been the same percentage of people scoring and the same bands for a long, long time. But the good news is because there were more candidates coming in, the pool of candidates was really broad and deep. And we saw an increase of 12% in the pool overall, 
but very exciting, we saw an increase in many cases more than that in every racial subgroup. So it was really exciting to see it become more diverse at the same time that the um, academic you know, indicators were getting stronger and stronger. And I think one of the things that's important for people to know there is that the LSAT isn't curved. It's not like only so many people can get a 170. Um, this, the test is, is what we call equated, so that if you take it in New York and you take it in California, um, it's equally fair to both people. But uh, we want people to do better and better because that shows that they're building skill. And our research is showing that several things are really moving the needle. One is the free prep through Law Hub and Khan Academy. The usage of both of those is very high and growing. The efficacy of the use when people do the practice exams shows increases in scores, as we would expect, because um, you know, learning's unequally distributed in our world, but if you provide access to learning, people learn and you can grow and develop. And then the other thing that we're seeing make a big difference is we three years ago started to engage in a very uh, widespread digital outreach campaign, because we know that today people get their information largely online. And even though the forums provide one uh, place for people to learn about law school, um, we need to reach out even more broadly than that. And so for three years running, we've had very active campaigns to distribute information as early as high school and an undergraduate about the potential of law study and the potential of a legal career, and that we're there as the hub to help. And so, you know, lsac.org, start there. Uh, we will help you in any way if you're interested in law school. Whether you're interested in a JD degree, an LLM degree, even a master's degree in law, our schools increasingly do all of these programs, and we're the hub to help you get there. Well, it is just extraordinary the impact that you're having um, and that the the racial subgroups have increased so dramatically in applications to law schools. I want to say thank you to you and to LSAC on behalf of all of us in law schools across the country, because uh, you're doing on a grand scale what I think it would be very difficult for us to do individually at our own law schools. Yes, that's right. And, and that's really, I think, the key is that uh, we are the chief cheerleader for legal education broadly, and so we go out for everyone, for all the schools, um, to help uh, help all schools and, and their candidates, and that's something we're just deeply committed to, is serving our member law schools uh, and serving all the candidates, uh, you know, really well as we go forward. I wanted to mention one thing, too, uh, which is just that we're continuing to work on Building out Law Hub, you'll start to see a lot of, um, of a lot more things that candidates can access through Law Hub, things that start earlier for the pre-law period, but also things that supplement what happens in legal education, and then also things to help prepare for the bar and for and for practice. And that whole pre-law to practice journey has to be really effective for us to really diversify the legal profession. Because if we have fall off along any of those points, it's not going to uh, happen. And so we wanna see that, that journey holistically and really help all along the way. And I also don't want to um, uh, ignore, Patty, the fact that the context we're all in right now is one where 
the imperative of equity is more visible and I think more people are committed to it than ever before. And people have begun to see that law may not be perfect, but it is a pathway to achieving social justice that works. And so more and more people are interested in putting their muscle behind making legal and policy change that can help make social change that enhances equity. Absolutely. I think you're right. We have to really capitalize on the movement right now and the, the passion and energy that there is behind um, equitizing not only legal education, but lots of other areas in society. Um, when you're talking about looking at the, the whole journey, um, pre-law students in, in high school and college who might be thinking of law school and then through going into practice and taking the bar exam, um, I do want to commend LSAC and you for taking on the Black Lawyers Matter Conference for year two. I know that the university, my colleagues here in Texas, the University of um, Houston and SMU Law are um, had started that last year. Uh, I was proud to be a part of that and that now you all are taking that on. Can you tell us a little bit about um, the intention behind LSAC helping to support that? Sure, we're really excited to have the second Black Warriors Matter Conference. It's on October 15th of uh, 21. And we are um, really a, a, an organization that has a lot of technology resources, you know, because we provide all the technology for the law schools to do their enrollment. Uh, law Hub is a really sophisticated technology platform. And we just wanna make sure that anytime we can lend our expertise and resources to help the right things happen. We're gonna be there and do that. And so there are many times when uh, we will be behind the scenes, the logistics, the conference, the event support for, for good things that the schools are doing. And um, you know, we were also able to be the backup for, for a few bar exam administrations because there was some trouble, you know, as we all know in that uh, realm and still is. So we want to help um, you know, bring uh, our expertise wherever it can be helpful. And the Black Lawyers Matter Conference last year was a wonderful success that looked a lot at how to open up the profession even more and what are the barriers. And then this year, what we wanted to do was build on that and look at, okay, once someone's in law school, how do we support the students thriving in law school? And then how do we support the, the law graduate thriving in practice, because retention in school, retention in the profession, and success, again, along that whole journey is what matters. So we have a, a wonderful program planned this year, and we do plan to do this annually, because that's the, the commitment that I made last year was I said, you know, we can't just have things that look at something once and then don't come back. Let's stay consistent. Let's show progress. Let's have accountability for progress. And so we hope to be able to provide support for the, the many wonderful deans and schools and others that are, that are helping every day to do the right thing to uh, make legal education strong and equitable. Well, thank you for doing that. And, and also, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the help that LSAC gives in grant projects for things like pipeline programs um, and aiding uh, retention, things like that 
to law schools who apply. So I know that's been um, a work in progress and that you've been revising those programs and maybe we'll have to have another session that just talks ah. about those, but thank you for that so that you sure. can support our programs on the ground. Um, and we thank our law schools for all they do and we want to help, you know, our plus programs have been running for 20 years and, and help to bring thousands of students into legal education. We're going to keep innovating in that space to, to do more and more. That's terrific. Um, before we get to the, the question about where you see things going, maybe in this cycle and the future of legal education, I just wanted to give a personal thanks uh, because you started while you were at Seattle, as I understand it, um, along and eventually partnered, or maybe from the beginning, you can tell me, at, with Villanova on an aspiring dean's workshop to increase the diversity in dean positions nationally. And if you look at the diversity in deanships now, as far as how many women are serving, how many women of color are serving, I think you have to conclude anecdotally and empirically, I'm sure that it is really making a difference. And as an attendee from one of those programs, which inspired me to apply to be a Dean, I thank you personally um, that you're changing the face of things from a diversity standpoint in our profession, in our law schools and at our law school leadership. So thank you for well, that. You bet, Patty. And I'm so thrilled you're at St. Mary's and, uh, and such an awesome leader there and that uh, program that you mentioned has now been running you know for over a decade and uh, we started it when i was dean at seattle um and as i joined lsac we we added in villanova as a east coast sponsor because now we can do it one year on the west one year in the east and it really encourages a diverse pipeline of deans and um I always say that, you know, there's two things that I just love personally to do. And one is encouraging great candidates to go to law school. The other is encouraging great people to become law school deans and, and helping support them. So uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure and, and honor for me. That's great. So you've been dean at two law schools. You've been the president of the Association of American Law Schools. You are now president and CEO of LSAC. I can't think of a better person to ask, where are we going in legal education? Where should we go? It's a really great question and a big one. And uh, as you might guess, I, I think about it all the time. Uh, so let me, let me mention a, a couple of things that I think we'll probably all continue to see. One is that, uh, you know, in Seattle, where I've spent a lot of my professional career, it's, of course, a very tech-heavy place. And one of my alums once said to me, you know, Kelly, when you're thinking about how technology will change something, uh, you know, think about it, make your best estimate, and then multiply it by 20. And you know what, Kelly, you'll still be wrong. You should have multiplied it by 200. That's wow. how much technology will change things. Yeah. And I think he was right, you know, and so one of the things that I am actually excited about is I think technology has the potential. It doesn't mean we always use it this way. It has a liberating potential. It has a potential to open up access to justice, to help really uh, bridge what is a stark access to justice gap in our world. And so I'm hopeful that legal education and the legal profession can continue to leverage technology so that the vast legal needs that are out there uh, begin to be more fulfilled. Uh, right now, they are woefully unfulfilled. Um, access to justice is a terrible problem and our profession has to face that and find ways 
to bridge it and legal education will need to be part of that. What does that mean? It may mean that we really start to think about a broader legal services industry mm -hmm. where more people, uh, in addition to you know, licensed lawyers can provide some aspects of legal services so that we can fulfill the, you know, and meet the legal health needs of our, of our world. I, um, I also, Patty, do want to say too that one of the things that's, I think, easy to miss sometimes is that there will be change coming from technology. Uh, there will be a lot of change, you know, that, uh, that comes to the legal profession. But we should never forget that every day there are just countless acts of justice happening by people who are lawyers. There is so much good that the legal profession does in the way that it, it helps people in, in ways that are, you know, from getting eyeglasses that you couldn't afford and now you can actually see, to housing, to, you know, big things in corporate the world that open up jobs for people. I mean, there's just enormous ways that both at the level of people and the level of institutions that law is making a difference. So will we see change? Yes. But is there an awful lot of good there? Absolutely. And our task is going to be to keep the very best of what's made le American legal education so strong and to continue to innovate as technology gives us more tools to use to do even better. Well, with LSAC innovating, um, on behalf of all of us, I feel very optimistic about the future of legal education and, uh, and even more the profession when I see the students that we're training and how they wanna go out and do good in the world. Um, so they do you have any, oh, go ahead. Are, I'll just say, Patty, that those students are there. I used to joke with my faculty and say, please don't turn gold into lead. Um, <laughs> they, the, the wonderful talent that comes in wanting to make a difference in the world, let's all nurture that. Uh, and then, and then unleash it. Absolutely. And now in this moment where you say we're all energized and really passionate on issues of equity and social justice, we're seeing that even more. I mean, the flame is so bright and you're right. Our job is, is to fan it and to direct it and, and make sure that they can do the good they're hoping to uh, with our assistance. But Thank you so much. We didn't even get to talk about the global work you're doing in India and Bhutan, but I, I hope that you'll come back and we could do that on another session. I'd be happy to come back. And, uh, and also I know you'll hear from uh, uh, perhaps some of my colleagues at LSAC. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. It's wonderful to talk to you today. It's your time to add up with America's leading higher education podcast network, the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. This is EdUp Legal with your host, Patty Roberts. She's Dean at St. Mary's School of Law, and she's gonna be leading conversations about legal education in today's world. Now let's hear from your host, Patty Roberts.